Welcome back to another edition of uh, Mormon Expression. I, I still have to give the sign. We're back in Salt Lake City for another um, live podcast. Thanks to everybody who's come tonight. Um, first of all, of course, this is a production of Whitefields. People say I forget to say that. And if you want to find out what we're doing with Whitefields, mosey on over to whitefieldseducational.org and check out um, things like job openings we're hiring and um, um, our counseling sessions, which are um, filling up quickly. And um, also for our recording schedule, we record every Tuesday night in Salt Lake City. I just posted the schedule for the next two months. Um, tonight, of course, we're talking about Mormon heaven as the follow-up to last week's hell discussion. Um, next week, we'll be talking about the first four verses of the Book of Mormon, um, the most interesting verses in the Book of Mormon. And um, let's see, the week after that, we're talking about the governing structure and philosophy of the church. This is to, um, I hear the word patriarchy floated around quite often, and I know I'm about to get myself in trouble, but I hear it misused quite often. We're going to talk about what patriarchies are, what oligarchies are, um, what meritocracies are, what gerontocracies are, and the last one is what plutocracies are. And we'll talk about how the church actually governs itself. I keep looking at you. You, you look like you're about to say something. I'm not. I'm just listening. Okay. The week after that, we'll be talking about um, the ex-Mormon struggle for identity, the top ten ways John Larson disagrees with John Larson. We then have the um, time commitment it takes to be a good Mormon. We're going to do an inventory of everything the church asks you to do in a month and add it all up. Um, next, we're going to talk about the heart cell, which is something that the church sells. Um, and um, we're going to talk about the Kubler-Ross model um, of grieving and leaving the church. And then bringing up the end of April, we'll be talking about what it means to be a bishop in the church. So that's our recording schedule. Sounds like fun. Now, tonight we are supposed to, we have four seats in the fabulous Studio 1A110. Um, and we are short two panelists for tragedy. Um, there were um, things that came up in their life, but makes it a little bit ironic. We have one fabulous panelist sitting to my left is, of course, the effervescent. And lovely Zilpha. Hey, Zilpha, welcome back. Hello, John. Hello, everybody. It's been a while since you've been on. It has been. It's probably been over a year or about a year. Uh, yeah, it's been about a year. Uh, what you been doing with yourself? Just keeping busy, working, parenting. Um, Zilpha and I, for those who don't know, used to be married for um, 17 years, right? Who's that? Um, and that's one of the reasons I asked her to come on this one, because we're talking about heaven. And heaven, of course, in Mormonism is, um, has to do with marriage. Largely. Now, um, Zilpha, people ask still to this day about you and I. We, we still get along, right? I think so. We've, uh, we've gone our separate ways. We co-parent. The kids go back and forth between the two of us. We communicate very often with one another. It's true. And um, and things are as good as they can be, given the fact that we're divorced. I'd say so. All right. So, um, any questions from the audience about our divorce or our former sex life or anything like that? <laughs> You'd be surprised what people have asked us. They okay. probably know 
plenty of that already. <laughs> probably. Uh, they probably heard better things than actually happened. Okay. <laughs> so we start every podcast with um, the news interview, the week's um, goings-on and what's been happening. There's two big stories I want to cover, and one of them actually... Um, dovetails right in um, to what we're going to be talking about. Oh, you but had another story. One. Well, why don't we start with yours, Zilpha? What was yours? Well, I happen to work right south of City Creek, and if you've been downtown recently, you know that they're tearing out a bunch of buildings just south of City Creek to put in a new um, arts um, theater, theater for performing arts, like basically a Broadway theater. But they're also tearing down the building on the corner of Main and First South. That one is going to be a high-rise office building. It already was, but they're going to make it bigger. And the company that was in charge of that is no longer in charge of it. And now it's the a real estate arm of the church. City Creek Reserve. City Creek Reserve. The church has lots of reserves. There's property reserve, which owns a whole bunch of stuff. There's intellectual reserve which owns all of their um, patents and copyrights, and um, there's a bunch of others. The churches, people have asked that I do a podcast on the complicated web of structure. <laughs> people actually ask me all the time to do really complicated podcasts that you could actually get like a thesis, you know, master's degree sort of thing on. It's complicated, and it's shells and hidden companies and... It's just a mess. If somebody can detangle it and wants to come on, be happy to talk it through them, but I don't have the wherewithal, the energy, or the know-how to try to figure out the church's corporate holdings. They are vast, and they are... I'm, I'm, I've am i lost an adjective. <laughs> Help me out here, man. <laughs> Convoluted, thanks. That's a great one. Um, but the building is going to be... At least twenty-two tower, um, towers, stories. Stories. Thank well, that, you. That, now, if if my memory serves me correctly, the church office building is thirty-seven stories, twenty-seven, twenty-eight. Um, but so, these are going to be taller floors, now, so it's actually going to be taller. Now, I have a friend and somebody who I trust immensely, who used to work for one of the big companies in Salt Lake that does neon signage and other signs that you see all around. And they were putting up a big sign on one of the buildings downtown. And you can verify this, because I have. All the buildings downtown, the church strategically owns all the property, and all the buildings downtown have been designed such that they never cast a shadow on the temple, no matter what time of the year it is or what where the, where the sun is. <laughs> So I would assume that this building, the church has that interest to keep Temple Square sort of set up so it doesn't have a shadow um, from whatever building it's it is. It's far enough away. Um, the but church... The rumor... Oh, there's more... The rumor mill yes. has it that the... Um, well, before this was announced, it was rumored that the church was going to be building a new um, office building for itself, like... To, to replace the its... one with the big dong and the two balls? <laughs> yeah, so this could be it. They they declined any more information in the article. but People think I'm joking. But the, the building, if you ever get down to Salt Lake, 
has two wings um, that are about, I don't know, four stories high. Then the, the top is, is the tower, and there's two great big globes on either either side. This The message is not very subtle. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> the message was unintended. There is a great... I've been looking for it, and I, I believe my memory serves me right. It's from 1937, the, the, the magazine before the Enzyme was the Improvement Era. And it was, it was, it was when they had just announced they were building the building, and it had, it had the old tabernacle, and then behind it, it had the temple, and then behind it had the church office building. It said something like progress. I'm sure the church has buried it because it's sort of like, here we've gone beyond the temple and now we have this, <laughs> this big corporate building. It's a monstrosity of concrete and glass. Um, um, this one will probably attractive. look better. Um, po- possibly. I mean, City Creek is an improvement on the ZCMI Center, which looked like a big Soviet-era um, housing block. So people complain that the church tore that down, but I say thank you guys because that was... I don't think they complained that they tore it down. They just complained about how much money they spent on City Creek. Mm. I brought this up before. Nobody knows how much money they spent on City Creek. It was plenty. Well, yeah. But but they probably are making money on it. um, Undoubtedly, they'll make a a profit. Okay, so any other rumors you have in your rumor rumor book there? No. Um, So our second news story um, comes from um, Britain. Of course, there's been a lot of things going on there. Now... Um, the, 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 the British government for a long time has required that, like, salaries of church officials be made public. And any church officials, like area authorities and mission presidents, you can look up what they make. Um, and, and that's public information. There was, um, the, 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 the church actually filed a human rights complaint in the, I think, the European courts against the United Kingdom, saying it was a violation of their rights because the the British said, whatever you're doing in your temples, that doesn't count as tax-exempt stuff. Because, because you're not allowing everybody in. Because you're not allowing it. It's a secret criteria. And only. And I think that the, the words that I read, um, that, that they, they said it's not a place of public worship, which is a portion of the British law. So that was struck down. The church cannot tax-exempt its temple work in um, Great Britain. It has two temples in Great Britain. Um, so it has to pay taxes on those. So it has to pay taxes on, on all those things. Which, more importantly, if you're trying to detangle the church's finances, you'll be able to see what the, act- the actual expenditures on the temples are. Because that's one of the problems. Because the U.S. law on tax exemption for religions is so broad that it's really easy to hide things. Now, let's be clear, the church has to pay taxes on its for-profit entities. So if a non-profit owns a for-profit in, in, in U.S. law, that's, that's, that's okay. A non-profit company. And, and for those in, in Utah, I always give the example that IHC, which is the biggest provider in the state of Utah of health insurance and hospitals, is a non-profit. What that means is that they're not making money for a board of directors or for shareholders. But there's plenty of people making lots of money working for IHC. Um, but but IHC could in fact own a for-profit business, but they would have to pay profit taxes on that. So so same way the the church does have for-profit enterprises, and on those it does pay taxes. So um, you know you can find out things like the chief officers. Uh, well, most of the, anything the church owns is not a public company by definition. So uh, it'd still be hard to find out a lot of information. But they do have to pay taxes. Well, so the. Church itself is the corporation of the 
first presidency. The church itself, the church itself has several corporations. The two main are the, the corporation of the president of the church of Jesus Christ, blah, 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 and the, the, the corporation of the presiding bishop. And what the two have differently, the presiding bishop owns like the cattle ranch, that 40,000 acre cattle ranch in, in Florida, and a lot of the, like, Sugar beet farms. Is sugar beet, sugar beets, is that still a thing? Yeah. Oh, okay. Um, sugar beet farms and, and all this kind of stuff around here. That's the corp, that's the presiding bishop. But those are nonprofit corporations, that's, those are right? Those are all nonprofits, yeah. So people say, oh, it's just a corporation because it's in the name, but nonprofits are called corporations also. Nonprofits are a corporation. It's just, and, and once again, nonprofit means it's not making profit. For shareholders, because capitalism, uh, we're getting way off course here, but capitalism is about the capitalists. It's about the companies are, are, if, if, if you're, if you're a capitalist, the companies are not about paying employees. They're not about acting uh, morally responsible. They are structured for one thing and one thing only, and that's to make money for shareholders. That's what the whole system runs on. If you don't like it, tough. That's what that's what the American system is based on. So you talk about nonprofit, you're saying that company is not structured to give money to shareholders. That's that's the chief difference. And then the, the government carves out a bunch of reasons why. For example, if you were an educational foundation, um, that would be a, a valid reason. If you were a religion, yeah, there, there's there's a whole bunch of them in the charitable services doing charitable charitable work and that just means that you don't have to pay taxes on on your profits okay so so that's that news item number three news item number three the church has been um releasing these essays uh ostensibly damage control and they've been putting them out on their website and now the press has woken up to this. The story really is the story. The last one that came up, well, let me let me switch over here and find it. Um, the last one that came up with is um, titled Becoming Like God. And this hit the press like gangbusters this last week. It's been reported all over, mostly because of the Book of Mormon musical hook. Um, there's an old canard in Mormonism about getting your own planet. Now... It's something that I heard, and you, did, did you, anybody never hear that before? You guys all grew up in the church. Anybody here not, never hear that cliche? Now, it's sort of, it's, it's, it's a shorthand. It's not actually true. This is important because the church loves to play on ambiguities like this. It's just like Kolob. Kolob's not a planet. It's, it's a star, right? God's planet, whichever, whatever that name, Beetlejuice or whatever, is, is circling the star Kolob. So if you say, if you say, God lives on Kolob, they'll say, no, God doesn't live on Kolob. Because it's, 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 a, it's, a, it's a distinction without meaning, right? And Kolob refers to just some crazy-ass place out there where God lives. And um, getting your own planet, we all know that we're going for the big lottery. We're getting our home fucking universe, right? It's not a planet. It's the whole thing, you know? And, and, but people use that for shorthand. And of course it shows up in the Book of Mormon musical, um, um, as, as a joke. So, so the, the, the headlines all over the press this last week were Mormons no longer going to get their own planet. <laughs> <laughs> See, I'm waiting you out like old style, Zilpha, and this is when you say something witty. 
I have something to say, but I think it'll come in better later. Okay, okay. Um, and, and I, you know, I was thinking about how much of this to, to bring it, because we're talking about heaven. Really, the, the, the change that's happened in the last 10 years or 15 years of how the church has been wordsmithing exaltation and I think we've mentioned this in previous podcasts. Of course, we went back, and I'd refer anybody as a companion to this particular podcast tonight to go search out the King Follett um, podcast, because that's that's where we talk about the genesis, the beginning of the Mormon concept of exaltation. The church has been rewriting its manuals. Um, Zilpha's got one in front of her. It's been rewriting um, the um, gospel principles, which is sort of the closest thing that Mormons have to a systematic theology. The closest thing they have to a creed would be gospel essentials. And they've been carefully, carefully wordsmithing this stuff. And this article that you should go read out, Becoming Like a God, on the LDS.org website is um, this... Um, what, what's the legal term for it? Um, when, you know, when, when they say, tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth... That what that means, it has legal meaning. You're supposed to not lie. You're supposed to say something that's true. Tell the truth. The whole truth, you're not supposed to just have omissions, you know, partial, you know, partial truths. You know, like if, 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 well, I was gonna, all the examples I think of were dirty and my kids are here tonight. So, um, you, know, you can't tell partial truths and nothing but the truth. So, so truth, the whole truth, nothing but the truth. So, so, now, now that's a legal standard. It doesn't apply to cops, by the way. So if you ever go into the interrogation room, they don't have to tell the truth, the whole truth, nothing but the truth. But the church doesn't follow this at all in their articles. They leave things out. They distort terms. They say things like, these passages can be interpreted in different ways. Oh, the, the whole point of Mormonism is that we suddenly have the truth, right? That everybody else walking around in mists of darkness, blah, 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 they have the apostasy, but we've got prophets who can guide us in these latter days. In a sea of misinformation and deception by the devil, we have the one guy, the one guy that God talks to. But if you read the articles the church puts out, it's all... We just don't know what these things mean. And this was the article. These early church guys, they said all this kooky, kooky stuff, and no one knows for sure what it means. No, it's, they're saying they do know what it means. It says, by viewing them through the clarifying lens of, re of revelations received by Joseph Smith, Latter-day Saints see these scriptures as straightforward expressions of humanity's divine nature and potential. Well, but that's, that's the point. But other Christians just don't see it because they're interpreting, interpreting the Bible through the lens of that time, which was all... But if you read what the rest of this article, wasn't clarified through the when they talk about divinity and nature, those are the words they're playing. Lens. So, what exactly the early church fathers meant when they spoke of becoming gods is open to interpretation. Go but they just said to, that it's all clarified well, through that, Joseph Smith's I'm revelations. Look, I'm looking at a paragraph down right here. What exactly? Did, but it, they, they, they're, they're, you're right. They're talking out of both sides of their mouth. But aren't they saying that it's open to interpretation to people who don't have the revealed truth? Well, but I don't know what they're saying. Uh, we all know what's going on here, right? Um, and they're, they're trying to back away from this while giving a wink and a nod to people in the church. The doctrine that 
of exaltation is clear. And we're going to go into the Holy Writ here in a minute and, and, and look at what it says. But I, no buts. But nope. it looks to me as if they're saying, they're still saying, you guys are interpreting, interpreting it all wrong. And the fact is that we are God's children and we are we do have the potential to become like God. You just don't know that because you don't have the revealed truth. Well, they go through in this article, and they actually, if you read this article, they talk about uh, there were early church, early, early, like second century doctrines about um, becoming divinity and, and sort of stuff. And but, they got lost. But they, they talk over around time. in circles. What they should say is, "Hell's to the yeah." We believe that if you die and you go to heaven, you go to the top heaven, man. It is you are you are God, man. I mean, it's, it's, it's that clear. That's what God was before. And you can become a God with all your wives and, and it just keeps on going, man. It's great. It says that Joseph got the revelation. They shall be gods because they have no end. They will receive a continuation of the seeds forever and ever. Where's the part about no planets? Did they put that in there? Well, uh, I don't remember. But you didn't have time to read all this. I don't. I don't. I don't read it. Written the church, but I'll admit that. Somebody else needs to read it and comment. Okay, so the church. The church keeps putting these articles out, and this is a good segue into what we're talking about tonight. Last time we talked about hell. Oh, so that was the third piece of news. Is that the church put this? Yeah, the church put this. Actually, the news, more interestingly, are the art, other articles that other people put out. If you go read the other articles that everybody's putting out, they're really fascinating. And there, I think there's New York Times and CNN and everybody's covering this, this, um, this story. Um, and, um, you know, you know, and I, I think that there's, there is a line from this that I do want to underline. It's from Oaks. And he says, our theology begins with heavenly parents. Our highest aspirations is to be like them. And I think the difference between now and our theology 100 years ago is we would have said we will become them. We will become heavenly parents in and of ourselves. I don't think there's... I don't, haven't they always said we'll become like them? We'll, well be as the gods? I, I, I think there, there's, been a, there's been a backing away from it. So you, you disagree with, like, CNN and all those guys? You don't think that, they're, that the doctrine's been backed down? Well, I think it has been over time, but I think this article is restating that they do believe that humans can become gods. But I didn't have time to read the whole thing either, so. Okay, fair oh, enough. Wait. I'm nervous as shit to be up here. Okay. Oh, me too. So just give me a minute to compose. The, uh, particularly interesting only because um, I remember landing on mormonnewsroom.org oh, a year ago, a year and a half ago, and they had FAQs, one of which were these exact questions. Will, do Mormons believe they'll become a god? Will Mormons be, you know, get a planet? And, and on the, 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 the get a planet one, it was just flat ass no. It just said no on it and then character, and then kind of went through the same explanation. But one of the uh, one of the websites that caught it, and it's just I, I realize I'm preaching to the choir here. I, it was one of the comments from uh, one of the quotes from Doctrines of Salvation, um, jo Joseph Fieldy. <laughs> anyway, he said the Father has promised us that through our faithfulness we shall be blessed with the fullness of His kingdom. In other words, we have the privileges of becoming like Him. To become like Him, we have all the powers of Godhood. Thus, a man and his wife, when glorified, will have spirit children who will eventually go on an earth like this one, doesn't specify where that comes from. 
obviously. Like this one, we are on and pass through the same kind of experience as being subject to mortal conditions. And if faithful, then they will also, they will receive the fullness of exaltation, partake of the same blessings. There is no end to this development. It'll go on forever. We will become gods and have jurisdiction over worlds, and these worlds will be, will be peopled by our own offspring. We will have an endless eternity for this. And I, you know, I obviously, like I said, I'm preaching the choir, but it sometimes seems so clear that that doesn't come up in the, in the dialogue there as they release these essays. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's for sure. Yeah, they used to be much more explicit. Well, the, the, the thing is, this doctrine is not complicated. But the, what we're going to go through, last week we talked about the terrestrial kingdom, the telestial kingdom, and outer darkness. That all was a lot more complicated. We might have trouble filling up the hour with the Mormon heaven. Because, I don't think so. I don't so. think so. But, um, <laughs> because it's, it's, it's pretty straightforward. And you get these long-ass essays that go through all these nuances to talk about the second century church. And it's just like, own it. <laughs> Mormonism is interesting. Um, and there were theological innovations that mostly came before the 1920s. And just lay them out there. There's, there's nothing to be ashamed of. Look, this is coming from an atheist. All religions are kooky. Mormons have this fear or this thought that their religion is particularly weird. Go look at the hats everybody else wears. Every religion wears funny hats. Don't be ashamed of your funny hats. Um, so just, just, just to own it, you know? And let the chips fall. Hell, we all grew up in the church hearing all this crazy bullshit, and it didn't scare us off. Um, what scared us off were other things we've been lied to about, you know. But y- there's so many people who grew up, say, in Utah, who not only knew the polygamy was going on, they could tell you who in their family line was married to Heber C. Kimball, and they knew that Heber never visited gram- great-grandma for the last 30 years of her life, and she died in poverty out in Panguits or wherever the hell. People know this stuff. Like, the church doesn't have to hide it because it's known. And if they would just own it, then it, it diffuses it, right? It's like rumors. If you just come out and tell people what's going on, they have nothing more to talk about. I think that's what they're trying to do with these articles. But to you can tell it's extent. been through committee. Everything the church writes has clearly been through doubt. I, I've said this before. I can't imagine that the, the, how hellacious it must be to work for the church. Because my company has this structure where, you know, for every 20 people, there's another leader. Then for every 20 of those, another leader in 20. The churches, it looks like, you know, like in the cartoons, they used to, they used to sign like beautiful women. <laughs> How many 70 are there? I mean, you're working away in your cube. You're some director of some bullshit little or organization over there. Any of those guys walk in and ask you what you're doing. You can't say, get out of here. I mean, then there's hundreds of 70s, right? Let alone the 12. There's 15 of those guys, right? The 12, there's 15 of them. So, um, it would just, I, I'm amazed the church gets anything done at all, to be honest with you. All right. Let's talk about heaven. Speaking of corporations. Um, um speaking of heaven, Mormons rarely call it that. Heaven? What do they call it? The celestial kingdom. Oh, or the CK. Yeah, the celestial kingdom. They just don't really use heaven as, as frequently. Um, yeah, you're right. Um, and, and we pointed out last week that it was a point of pride that, that, that the church members thought that the old, the, the Christian, the standard Christian narrative of a heaven and a hell was overly simplistic. So we added a third one. Um, 
So to review from last time, you come down onto this planet, you die, and if you die before the morning of the first resurrection, you're going to go to one of two places. You're going to go to spirit prison or you're going to go to spirit paradise. And if you're in paradise, the most likely outcome, especially if you died early and a general authority came and spoke at your funeral, <laughs> then you had missionary work to do on the other side, so you're going to go on a mission down to the spirit prison and try to get people up to paradise. Paradise is where people will hang out until the resurrection. After the resurrection, there will be a big judgment, of the big Mormon judgment. And you will go to one of three kingdoms, the celestial kingdom, the terrestrial kingdom, or the celestial kingdom. And last week we talked about, I'm awful burpy tonight, I'm not even drinking beer. Um, last time we talked about the celestial and the terrestrial, and then tonight we're going to talk about the celestial kingdom. So if you're going to outer darkness, you just go straight there after you die? Um, it's part of judgment. Satan's one-third host get thrown down there after they're loosed on the world for the, we need to, we need to do a podcast special for the millennium, but they get loosed on the world for a thousand years. Then they all get kicked out. Aren't they already loosed? They are now, but they get bound up at the millennium. Oh, right. That's right. But so you're saying after you're in spirit prison for who knows how long, then you go to outer darkness. I don't know. I was never taught anything about that, that um, particular. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so so the celestial kingdom. The celestial kingdom is is the place everybody wants to go. When you get resurrected, you get your body back, and as we pointed out last week, you get to keep your junk if you go into the celestial kingdom. <laughs> um so you go to the celestial kingdom, and the celestial kingdom, well let's first go to Doctrine and Covenant section 76. That's where we we were speaking last week, and we're going to jump backwards to verse um uh, about verse 50. Blah, blah, blah. Okay. So the people who go to the celestial kingdom are the priests and the gods and the sons of gods. And you'll know if you go to the temple, um, you go through these series of, of covenants. And then you get anointed to that Sometime after, you, what is the word? It's been a long time for me. The, you get anointed that you will be in, anointed to be you, that you'll become to become priests and priestess, kings and kings unto the Most High God. But you're not actually anointed. Not as until them. the second anointing. Um, have, have we we've mentioned the second anointing. We haven't done a podcast on it yet. Second anointing is a temp, is a temple ceremony um, in which, in brief. Um, you get called in, and you, it has to be a man and a woman. And the man and the woman, um, um, there's a partial anointing that's done in the temple. Whoa, 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 whoa. Caution. Oh, yeah. It, <laughs> Caution. Well, uh, this it, is I'm from the Doctrines of Gospel of the Gospel Teachers Manual. Yeah. Under Eternal Life, the first thing they say is, Exercise caution while discussing the doctrine of having our calling and election made sure. Okay, okay. Avoid I'm, speculation. All right, no speculation Use here. only the sources given here. Oh, well, I'm not doing that. And in so, the student manual. So this is, this is yeah, indeed. Do thank not you, attempt in any way to answer questions this is, or discuss this the second This is called anointing. having your calling and election made sure that you get anointed by usually one of the 12. Um, so I think sometimes it's a mission president. It's a temple president. And then you go home and your, your wife 
uh, uh, finishes the anointing. And there's a reference to she's anointing you for burial. She is laying claim on you. Because in Mormon theology, women can't get into heaven. Men have to pull them into heaven. Um, and this is still played out in the temple today. Some of this bullshit doesn't exist in the temple anymore, but this one does. If you are a woman, you cannot go through the veil symbolically until your husband takes you through the veil. So after the first portion of getting married, which is part of exaltation, we'll talk about here in a minute, is you go have an endowment. And the endowment ends with you going through the veil, which symbolically represents you making it to the celestial kingdom. And as a matter of fact, the temple is a play on this. As you go through the rooms, in the old days, you'd pick up and move from room to room. And now they just turn the lights up because because the celestial kingdom has better lighting than than the other than the other kingdoms. Yeah. So you, you know what? I, I I consider myself fairly bright, but like the turning the lights up never really struck me until I, never noticed. until I went to a live session. I'm like, oh, that's what the fuck mm. they're doing with the lights. Uh, it didn't make, it didn't, it just never registered because nobody ever tells you, hey, you know, in there when we turned the lights on, that meant she went from the telestial world to the terrestrial. Oh, I, and I'm, I can be a dummy, but I think they even say, you're now entering the terrestrial world. But I just never, I never. But you never felt like you were going anywhere. No, no, I was just still sitting there next to the guy who was snoring. Um, so, so, so anyway, the husband goes through and the veil worker acts as God. You put your hand through and you do all this, all these Masonic handshakes. And then you go through and then you truck around to the women's side because the women are on the left. Because <laughs> that's right appropriate. Is reserved for the righteous, right? Although from God's perspective, they're on the right. Ooh, you're, ooh. <laughs> <laughs> so the man goes and he'll bring his bride through. And I think there's actually a limit. Like the church says, this has to be within like 24 or 48 hours before the time that you, it's, it's like bread. It has an expiration date on it. If you do not get pulled through the veil by your soon to be husband, um, then it expires. I don't, I don't make this shit up. This I think you're real, making that. I think you're making that. You are making that stuff. up. Guys, and besides that, you guys can look it up. And besides that, plenty of single women get their endowments. And they're not pulled through by you. You can you you do, in, but in the old days, but symbolically, they did not let women go through the temple until they got married. Now so does do. a man pull them through the for the first time if they're just going through just as a single person? Whoever's behind the veil. Or, but when they get married, it has to be their um, husband patrol. Yeah. yeah, soon to be husband. Yeah, this this is part of the marriage ceremony. That, that's 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 my point. And. You you are given a secret name. It happens to be the name everybody who entered that day gets, but that's a secret too. Shh, don't tell anybody. Um, you're given a secret name, and the man is given the name of his wife because he uses that name to 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 bring her through. The symbology is that in the resurrection that he will call her forth out of the grave. And her would be or hers. hers. <laughs> yes. He would call them all forth and lay claim on them. And the woman needs needs a man to lay claim to to get to the foster kingdom. But the church, if you if you bring that point up to the leaders, they say, but a man needs a woman also to get into the highest level of the celestial kingdom, this. which there are levels in the celestial kingdom. So to get to the highest one, you have to be married. This is true. A race car driver needs a pit crew. 
I mean, there's, there's no denying that a man needs a woman in Mormon theology to get into the celestial kingdom. I don't mean that to any sort of disparage. This is not about me. This is about... Oh, my God. All right. Let's skip ahead to DNC 131. Because where this gets interesting is it wasn't good enough we established that the, the two, the, the, the two, the, the, this early theology on the heavens came out in 1830, 1832, very early in Joseph's career, before the temple. And when the first temple first opened in Kirtland, there was a sort of a, a washing and anointing, and there was a sort of an endowment, but there still wasn't any concept of sealing or of eternal marriage or polygamy in, in, the, in the doctrine. That came out later, um, and, and it came out in the Nauvoo period. Um, so, Doctrine and Covenant section 131 is a short one, but it's important to this. And this was 1843. This is right smack dab in the middle was when Joseph was marrying everybody he could. And, um, and this is, this is when the doctrine sort of rolled out. Okay. And this is a short verse. We're just going to read it. Um, in the celestial glory, there are, th- I'm getting kind of evangelical when I read the scriptures. I, I, I'm raising my hands in, in, the, in the air. That there's celestial glory. There are three heavens or degrees. So we've already have three, and then we're going to divide it into three more. And in order to obtain the highest, so we're talking about the highest degree of the highest degree, a man must enter into this order of the priesthood, meaning the new and everlasting covenant or marriage. Now, we've talked about in previous podcasts that the new and everlasting covenant of marriage for a long time meant plural marriage, not just being sealed to a single woman. It meant the, 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 the concept and institution of polygamy. And if he does not, he cannot obtain it. He may enter into the other, but that is the end of his kingdom. He cannot have an increase. Um, so that's where we get the idea that you have to be in the highest part of the celestial kingdom to become a god. Because you need a wife to become a god so that you can populate your future planets. Yes. Um, and many wives would be better. So so we have the highest degree of the celestial kingdom. And if we go to Doctrine and Covenants 132, and we've been through this in the podcast for same period of time. 132, verse 15. Therefore, if a man marry him a wife in the world, and he marry her not by me nor by my word, and he covenant with her so long as he is in the world, and she with him, their covenant and marriage are not of force when they are dead. And when they are out of the world, therefore, they are not bound by any law. Therefore, when they are out of the world, they are neither married nor given in marriage, but are appointed angels in heaven, which angels are ministering servants to minister for those who are worthy of far more. For these angels did not abide my law, they cannot be enlarged. So this defines, we actually don't have any idea what like the middle layer of the, of the celestial They're kingdom serving is. the higher layers. Well, what's the difference between the second one and the third one? I don't know, maybe the babies are in the third one. I don't know. It's 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 a, it's a doctrinal whole. I mean, he makes it clear that there's three of them, and he says the top one you have to be doing plural marriage to get into that top kingdom, and but we know that they're ministering angels. I, I, 
It will all be, it will all be revealed. So the TK smoothies, they're scissoring, but the, can these guys fuck? I mean, is it allowed? Like if you're in the second and third degree, I, Pro- no, no, so, because you're not married, well, silly. Even better. I mean, no, <laughs> no, I don't. I don't think it's allowed. Those angels, they get around, you know. Um, the first degree, they're stuck with they're however many ministering angels. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so th- that's. I mean, that's the that's the basics of the doctrine. There are some other interesting things um, that we we need to talk about. First of all, Joseph Smith said the same society which exists among us here will exist among us there in the eternal world. That, that, that was in, in parenthesis in the eternal world. People think people, um, ex-Mormons leave the church because they were offended, they wanted to sin. Not at all. They read this scripture right here and they say, I don't want any fucking part of that. I want to go someplace else. Because what you're telling me <laughs> is that the church is going to be like a provo for the rest of all eternity. I am, um, if that same, but you, you know, maybe hanging out with Joseph was a lot funner. I mean, I shouldn't, I shouldn't project onto Provo circa 1988. I should think about like Nauvoo circa 43, and that was a swinging place, literally. You know, it was, it was, it was fun stuff happening on. So, um. Not for everybody. <laughs> for very few. Um, so let's talk about. What? Go ahead. Well, I guess. While we're talking about marriage still, sort Mm -hmm. of, I think um, it's important to point out the role of our current person who has gotten to that point of Godhood, who is a woman. Oh, our our mother mother. in heaven. And the, the fact that we know very little about her nothing about her really um or hers and yet women still look forward to the celestial kingdom to exaltation but it's like very shaded you don't have any idea what in the world is up there and also when prophets have seen visions of heaven or angels there are no women there are no women seen being resurrected just something to no i this is a, this is a wonderful point and it, it bothers me immensely um go ahead this goes back into the book of mormon there are only like i think what three women mentioned in the book of mormon and one of them is a prostitute and the others um, are whiny complaints right and the others are yeah they're, they're right and so i mean it, it just it, it just gets to the I, I you know i mean joseph smith married all these women but you 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 know you You've got to wonder what his opinion of women overall, you know, it was, because he didn't seem to think they had anything important to say. But you know, he went around trying to, you know, get whatever he could. Well, so. J- Joseph was the Bill Clinton of the uh, Mormon prophets, and I, I think, I think he liked, he liked the ladies. Um, um, I think you're, Brigham Young's the one who was a misogynist. He hated women. No, I think it's because our Father in Heaven loved his heavenly, heavenly wife so much he didn't want John to curse in her name. So uh. out of respect. <laughs> he didn't want it to me. Yeah, yeah. Right. I, I, l- listen, listen, honey. I love you so much. I'm gonna lock you in the basement, <laughs> and no one, no one can hurt you down there. Yeah. Well, you know that that is the problem. Of course, somebody said, "Which heavenly mother?" 
Um, right, and for Mormons, current Mormons, it's a huge deal, the marriage thing. And for, I think, Mormon women especially, we're raised in the Young Women's Program to um, think of marriage as like the best thing that could possibly be ever for you. I mean, that's What's marriage and having marriage and best. having children. We don't really talk about anything after that. You get married and have a family. The end. And I mean, that's supposed to be your entire life now and for eternity. Well, if you think about it in terms of progression as a woman, you, you go through this young women's thing, you get married at 19, and from here, for the next 20 bazillion years, you're going to be doing the same thing, which is pumping out babies. That's it. That's like it. You've, you're finished. Game over. All right? There's, not, there's nothing else left for you. <laughs> yeah. Is there a problem? <laughs> um, Sounds great. No, it's there. Are, there are women who I respect immensely who look to reform in the church, and they they're pushing for either ordination of women, or they're pushing for a greater recognition of the mother in heaven as a doctrine of the church. But let's say let's play a mind game here. Let's say tomorrow the church announced. We're acknowledging we have a mother in heaven. Her name's Sally, by the way, because there was one. And there's only one. That was all just rumors. There was only one. And, um, and, and we're going to ordain all the women. Congratulations. What does this mean for the last 6,000 years of our existence? That, that she was still for the, for, for, most of humanity, she was completely absent. She's completely absent from all revelation. She she's was busy with all the babies. She, 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 she's, she's a, she's a non-entity. And, and by bringing her into the, into the fold now would make her just an auxiliary. I've said before, the biggest insult the church has to women is they call everything they do an auxiliary. Do you know what that word fucking means? It means that it's not Essential. It's not essential. It's not part of the main line. And the Relief Society and the Young Women's Program and the Young Men's Program, uh, the primary, all that is auxiliary. The only thing that's not auxiliary is what the dudes are doing. I'll tell you that much. <laughs> um, and, 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 and they're all officially under the priesthood yeah, leadership. Yeah, they're under the priesthood. So you can't resolve. This is, this is the problem the church has with a lot of its doctrines. If it reverses them, it still has a lot of explaining to do. But all you know? it has to do is say, well, God wasn't ready. We weren't ready to have this revelation yet, like like the blacks and the priesthood. And all they have to do is say, well, it was just time. We were finally prepared to accept this But you're doctrine. acting like that's gone away. This is still a problem for the church to explain. I just got done watching Breaking Bad, by the way. So it's, 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 it's a great metaphor because he spends all his time trying to make money. And then suddenly he's got a bunch of money. And now he's got a bigger problem. Like, what do you do with those big piles of cash? It's the same problem the church has. It has all these doctrines sitting there in a vault. And it can't just hide them. It, it has to have an explanation because the whole principle of the church is the the idea of restoration. The idea of restoration is we were restoring these old ideas. And if you say, sorry, just kidding, that was all bullshit, then it's like, well, what What are you anyway? I mean, if you're not the restoration but It's movement, not their fault. It's our fault for not being ready for the whole truth. Well, yeah, but what about all the stuff they made up? They were just men. What are you doing? That goes in the swear jar.
I don't curse like this in front of my kids all the time. No, just I was wondering. Just when they're in studio. Um, <laughs> so, um, yeah, uh, um, it's an occupational hazard. Uh, <laughs> the, the, it's, 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 it's an irresolvable problem in, in my mind. And, and there are very intelligent, very thoughtful people who disagree with me on this point. Well, but the challenge I lay down is show me. Show me some kind of doctrinal way out of this corner that they've backed themselves into. They just say it and it is, just like they have with everything else. And people will just accept it and because... And that worked so well for the community of Christ. When they just reversed all their stuff, what happened? They lost tons and tons of people. They didn't have the momentum still at that point that, that the mainstream LDS church has. I, um, I think they could get away with it. They would just say, hey, we have a Heavenly Mother and... Yeah. No. People would want... To accept it, especially the women, and women tend to control the men. So, <laughs> Go ahead. I think we'd be we'd be okay. Well, but I mean, don't you think a lot of true believing Mormons they look at it? This is like the the church's double speak. Okay, there's the exoteric stuff. This is the stuff that we're presenting to the world so we can save face. But all the all of these doctrines, blacks and the priesthood, and all this other stuff, we still believe this. We just can't say it because it's because people don't get it. And so it seems like there's that double speak that's always going on. So they can say whatever they want. They can publish any essay they want. And I mean, I saw a lot of stuff on Facebook where, you know, where people are upset that they're repudiating this doctrine of blacks and the priesthoods and, and blacks not being valiant in, in the spirit world. And they just talked about it like, well, this is just the church basically presenting a, a more palatable image to, you know, to the media. Well, that, that and, doctrine's still there. Go to go to go to young men's young women's. But they said, I mean, they they said on that essay, we don't believe in that theory. We don't accept that. They, they, right. It went from being a doctrine that we, you know that it was a doctrine for 150 years, and now it's just a theory that we don't we don't accept anymore. Well, yeah, but they still teach the youth that they're they're the chosen special people, right? Yeah, but those youth now include black people. Yeah, yeah but but the the fundamentals of the doctrine is still there. The idea of this cultural or celestial or spiritual superiority is, is, is still there. Well, Mormons do believe in pre-election. Yeah, absolutely they do. And they think that, that they're the chosen people. I, I, I'm, I'm carefully, right now I'm carefully choosing my words to not like use like Nazi references, but it's this, it's when, when people, when people believe that they are special selected by God and ordained by who they are better than everybody else, it always ends badly. Um, it's not something that's good, right? And now they, they explicitly would tie it to skin color in the past, but I guarantee you there's plenty of Mormons who tie it to socioeconomic status and to the country you're born in, and to the place in the world that you're born, and all that stuff. Even though they may never say it in the negative, they say it in the positive. They believe that because they were born in Sandy to the stake president, that they are somehow this choice and elect spirit. That's different than a special spirit. (laughs) (laughs) Or sweet, sweet spirit. Okay, I want to talk about families are forever. Because this is a pet of mine, because I think it's funny. Um, when the church moved away from 
um, so there, there, there's this, there's this course of, of what makes Mormons special. And there was the, the polygamy and the other doctrines that, that we largely discarded moving up into like World War One. World War One to World War Two were kind of dark years, depression going on, everybody just holding on. After World War Two, yay, the Cold War, right? Now we have identity. Now we're fighting the Russians, and the Russians are clearly a, a metaphor for Satan and his minions, right? So we saw the scripture stories playing right out on the 6 o'clock news. Then the Cold War sort of ended, and we as Mormons hung on to it for about eight years longer than everybody else did, but we eventually had to, had to move on. Then you start seeing this, and, and these things overlap. I'm oversimplifying. This families are forever, this fetishization of the nuclear family. And I think this was born out of the 60s. I, I've oftentimes said the church was the counter-counter-counter-counter-culture, right? And, and so we took everything the hippies were doing, and we tried to reverse it. Um, and, and when we did that, we, and, and there was, you know, the invention of the pill and, and, and more promiscuous sex and drugs and all this kind of stuff. We took the nuclear family and we just sort of made it into this thing that it never really was, this holy grail of all existence. And, and Mormons so, weren't the only yeah, people doing Mormons this. Mormons weren't alone. Um, but, but Mormons just, it, it was really resonated with the doctrine. And so, so we just ran with that. And now we have this families are forever. If you go into Deseret book, you'll just be puked upon by all of the art on the wall saying these families are forever and other things like that. The problem with the phrase. Sorry. What? No, just, I just, you just pulled that up. Oh, paper, well, right? I do have something, but go ahead. Oh, the problem with the phrase is it's, meaningless even in mormon theology it doesn't mean anything it especially in mormon theology right. i mean if we're all going to become gods yeah well, well what? Our, our god who happened to be named kevin i told you <gasps> elohim is his office his name is kevin kevin and lucy what what i say it was sally no sally I sally kevin um what does what does families are forever mean for him He'll play ultimate frisbee with his brothers on Saturdays. Um, do, do they have family home evenings still? You know, like he goes trudging over to the other galaxy and there's back to his mom. There's pal. his mom and dad. His mom gives him some cookies that she baked and, and they have family. Yeah, they have, they, he does the prayer this week, but next week he's got the activity. Did, I, I mean, what, what does this mean in the eternities? It, it means nothing, right? Because if your children, themselves achieve exaltation what happens to them don't they get their own heavenly mothers and and heavenly wives and they move on it, it has no meaning in the real world right because because if you look at the pattern that we lay out for god and what god is doing and then what we're saying happens to us well, it's very incongruent. kind of now centric yes, and like adult centric Yes. It we, doesn't it doesn't take it doesn't look at your children as adults even, even though that's what they'll be for centric. most of their lives. Well, it, it's 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 Yeah, it's, midlife centric. It's taking people who have little kids and 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 making this sort of thing say it'll all work out and it'll be it'll be great. It's it's sort of the um idealization and then of course it appeals to the nostalgia of empty nesters. Right? Because they're already starting I'll to I'll have my children back. Yeah, I'll I'll have all my children back. And I've made this point before, made it last week. This is why leaving the church is so 
damaging to family relationships because you screw up their heaven. Be, because families are forever, except you just messed that up. Well, um, this little thing from Russell M. Nelson, 2008 conference talk, um, he says, while salvation is an individual matter, exaltation is a family matter. Basically, the marriage thing, but he says family. It's a family matter. Which is why you guys all screwed it up when you left the church. <laughs> you messed it up for all the people around you, jerks. All right. Um, should, or, I wasn't given a, an outline or anything, so I don't know where you're going. But are you going to talk about <laughs> um, like the requirements of getting into heaven besides just like... Pay, pray, and obey? Basically, but, but I think it's important to point out the Mormon idea of salvation, that it's, that it's um, not free. Well, I, yeah, good. I didn't have that in my notes, but it, it's a good thing. In, in Mormonism, you must, um, you must do these ordinances. Do specific things and plus a whole bunch of other stuff. Physical actions that have to be performed by somebody in authority, but surprisingly enough, don't have to be performed by you, right? Isn't that kind of weird? <laughs> Anybody else? Like, you have to be, you must be baptized to get into heaven, except it may not have to be you. It could be this 12-year-old, like, kid from, <laughs> like, uh, Hiram, Utah, you know, who goes up to the Logan Temple. Uh, and does it for you yeah, when you're dead. When you're dead. That's by proxy. Um, yeah, so you, you have but to But they actually... have to be done in order to get into heaven. But not only those things. Like, it's... <sighs> I have a, a quote in here somewhere, but I can't, rem I can't um, look through all of these to find it right now. But basically it said, it's not good enough to be good. You have to go the extra mile, basically, to be worthy of the celestial kingdom. You have to go above and beyond being good. Well, absolutely. Because and if you read like the Miracle of Forgiveness, um, Kimball's book, you know, he talks about the first half is all the bad things that you've done, and the second half is all the good things that you haven't done that are going to keep you out of heaven. But it's not only that. It's not only this huge list. And I, I read to you guys in the beginning of the podcast the list. We're going to come up and talk about all the things you have to do as a Mormon day and day. But um, I, you, you, if you think about it, if you, if you commit any sin, there's four, three men, men, who have to be involved in it. Um. Uh, let's say a sin greater than whatever, a sin you confess to, confess to your bishop. The bishop has to pronounce you clean, and if he doesn't, um, then you're 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 in trouble. If you're a man, there's a fourth. It's the stake president too. If you're if you're a man, you have the Melchizedek priest, or the stake president has to get involved. Jesus has to do has to perform this act of. Um, he has to like put the atonement to work he has to do the atonement but god himself has to in, in mormon theology jesus pays for people's sins but he can't actually forgive anybody it's kind of a weird cross-sectional thing so so you have to have all these these bureaucratic um points that you've, you've you've come across so it's not just that you've been baptized and then you received the priesthood if you're a man and then gone to the temple and received your washing anointed and then got your endowment and then received your celestial marriage um 
and and all that stuff. Do but, they still do? Sorry, finish your thought, and then I'll no go ahead. Ask you: Do they still do church church courts for people who have their second, who have their calling and election made sure if they do something naughty? Sure. This is there's a rumor going around because of the Tom Phillips or is it Phillips thing that because he's had his second anointing, the church can't do anything to him. These guys need to read more church history. They excommunicated plenty of people in the early days who had their um, their second anointing. That yeah, they they can uh, they can still yeah yeah. Um, so yeah, you have to do all this stuff. You have to obey all these things, do all this stuff, and then maybe you'll get into heaven. And this is what we talked about last week. That I I think a lot of people assume. Who here? We'll we'll do show show of hands. Who here, when you were a member in good standing, or as good a standing as you got? I'm not gonna. I'm not here to judge. When you were thought you were gonna make it to the celestial kingdom. Wow, it's like two thirds. I, I, I never did. <laughs> You're smiling. <laughs> well, I already knew that. Oh. oh. <laughs> did you think you were going to make it? Yeah. Because I was doing all of the things I was doing. Did you think to. I was going to make it? I had my doubts. <laughs> 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 but no, I thought you were. You're a good boy. <laughs> um, yeah, Celestial Kingdom. Uh, go ahead. Oh, yeah, and I think it's that double bind that they do again where they want to encourage you and make you feel like you're going to do it, like it's in reach, but then, you know, when you start feeling good about yourself, then they do something to smack you down again so that. So, so that, that that keeps you humble, and that keeps you needy, and that keeps you, um, you know, you're basically dependent on them. So so you can't, you know, yeah, they'll tell you you're the elect, and you were born in the last days, and you went on your mission, and you 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 went to the temple, and and and, and God has this plan for you, but then, you know, two Sundays later, they give you this talk about how terrible you are. And, and it's kind of this, this, they play you both ways. So that you don't, so that you need, so that you're dependent on them. Right. They say, be therefore perfect. And then they say, but don't stress too much about it. You know, spend time with your family and, but be perfect. But okay. you can't, you can't be perfect. Nobody can be. And so you're always falling short that way. So we've, we, I, I know I put a real negative twist on this, but a lot of people look forward to heaven. So what did, what did you all imagine? What was the thing you were looking forward to in Mormon heaven back when you believed? <laughs> he said my own, my own planet. Well, Jeez. there you go. I, I remember I was in a Sunday school lesson when I was a kid, and the guy was talking very seriously. He, I guess he loved to ski, how he's going to make his planet. So I had like this really long ski run. <laughs> um, and he was sincere. I mean, this was a, this was a motivator. What else? I mean, what? So this isn't me necessarily, but a close friend of mine talked about how what he wanted to do with his own planet was redesign humans so they looked nothing like humans. He basically going to make his own space aliens instead, so he didn't have to make people. Well, at least it's creative. Do you think he really believed that he would have that? He'd be able to do that, or is it just sort of tongue in cheek? Uh, I think it was. 
I would say it's probably half and half. He probably believed because this is somebody that knew the doctrine very well and ended up leaving later on in life. I think he knew that there was no doctrinal foundation with this idea that he could create people however he wanted, but tongue-in-cheek, he thought, well, if I'm in charge, right, I can do whatever I want, so therefore that's what I want to do. I want to make space aliens instead of human beings. And leave out the mosquitoes. Yes, of course, (laughs) leave out the mosquitoes. I did the same thing. Like, I'd think about ways to create different worlds. And then another thing I would do is think about kind of the idea of being in love, and especially when you're, like, in your early 20s, and it's going to be like that forever, only this person can't ever get away from me, (laughs) right? (laughs) Like, they are stuck with me, and now, I don't know, there was, like, some kind of freedom in that. Well, that's an interesting thing. Yeah, I romanticized it. It It was a romantic idea to me. But I've known people... My who, mother? Who, no, I wasn't going to say that. <laughs> I've known people who their relationships are not so good on this planet. Oh, with their spouses? With their spouses. But they don't bother going to therapy. They don't bother working on it because in the end, it's all just going to get nice. It's all going to get great like Jenny was talking about. It's all going to be perfect. So why bother here? you got the eternities to figure things out. I've heard the same sort of justification for like not getting education. Um, um which is one of the powers of Christianity. I, I believe personally, one of the reasons Christianity spread so fervently through the Roman Empire is it, it spread with the underclass. It gave them a meaning and purposeful life in a life that was otherwise nasty, short, and brutish, right? And there, the, you could be a slave here, and, and no doubt that church was fun for them. They sang and they got together with their friends, but it was the idea of redemption. That that was definitely, there's been many anthropologists written about this, that was definitely one of the reasons Christianity took hold so fervently with the slave class in in in, in early America, because it, it was a redemption from slavery in, in, in the afterlife. So Christianity's staying power, and one of the dangers of it, in my mind, is it breeds complacency, because you have all the rest of eternity to work every other problem out. You don't have to face your problems in this life. Glorious heaven awaits, as you've said. Mm-hmm. I'll just say to add, I think um, to not go because it's not necessarily a positive thing. I think honestly, what I look forward to most about making it celestial kingdom in heaven is I kind of always had the underlying anxiety, as I always do, that I just don't know everything yet. So I really look forward because I figured we'd probably have to spend a few million years, you know, going to heaven college. And that during those few million years, I might figure out the way to get out of micromanaging a whole billions of people and planets for the rest of eternity and find something (laughs) fun to do instead. So on that note, was there anything about Mormon heaven that you dreaded that sounded miserable to you? Polygamy? Polygamy? So so did you think it was going to happen? I always thought that... The woman, the first wife or whatever, got to decide if she wanted her husband to have more. But at that time, I wouldn't be so jealous or worry so much about it. And so it would be all perfect. You don't think he'd come home and say, but Colleen, the other guys have four wives He would, but she'd be fine with it because she'd be perfected and she wouldn't be jealous anymore. Yeah, but it still bothered me, always. Yeah, I've heard my mom, even... (laughs) <laughs> no, no, it, it bothered me too. I mean, uh, I had a simplistic romantic view. Maybe I still do. I had a romantic view of coupling 
And the idea of polygamy bugged the hell out of me. I didn't like it at all. I bought into the the romantic notion we have of having a this wonderful love affair, right, between two people that would go forever, like Jenny was talking about. That was still my my ideal. And having four or five or 44 or 50 wives sounded absolutely miserable to me. I'm not lying. It still does. <laughs> it sounds awful. Well, it messes up the romantic nature of the exactly. relationship. Uh, going on to things I dreaded about heaven, I was always unsure if... Uh, if we were going to be gods, if we had to go through what Jesus Christ went through. Uh, and, well, I'm a woman, so I probably won't have to, but, you know, if I had to go through seeing my husband go through, you know, the suffering and all that, uh, right. and it was kind of made unclear. And I understand, that was scary. but like I pointed out last week, it's only 72 hours. <laughs> <laughs> right, because um, some of the early doctrines hinted at the idea that you had to be a Christ before you became a god. So yeah, the, the, the Adam God theology to. would put you as yeah moving up, and then you would eventually do that. But the that's not which the, is still kind of represented by the way they do the temple. Yeah, well, the, the the Brigham Youngish Adam God would have um, God bringing Eve would be one of his wives, so that would be your role in eternity to to couple that's, with that's no, 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 no. Eve wasn't God's wife. Eve was Adam's wife, but it was Mary who was God's wife. Well, but Mary, wait, Adam, but mother. Adam was God, right? Right, but but the highest God. Wait, the highest, highest no, God, or the our highest God. Anyway, w- women didn't have a lot of roles. Uh, not hard to get the best supporting actress in that one because there's only one or two of you. So. But, Eve had a pretty good role. Okay, so what do we have left? Um, that's that's the heaven. That's the deification. So deification, by and by, I know we've we've hit it over and over again, but let's make it explicit. One goes to heaven. One goes to the celestial kingdom and spends an undefined amount of time there, where one works to achieve exaltation. Now there was an early, early doctrinal disagreement between two of the founding theologians of Mormonism, Brigham Young and um, Orson Pratt. Thank you. My mind's going blank. I saw his big Walt Whitman beard in my mind. But Orson Pratt and Brigham Young. And the question was on exaltation and eternal progression. And this still pops up in the corners of Mormon theology today. Brigham Young was adamant that exaltation was not an end state, that one kept growing and becoming and learning and progressing forever. And Orson Pratt said, no, there's a terminal state. There's a point at which you've achieved all perfection. And what's fascinating, if you read the early church um, talks, they would debate back and forth in their, in their talks. Um, and they would disagree with each other and call each other out. And Brigham Young was kind of a dick. And he was really that way towards Orson Pratt. And Orson Pratt got smacked down. What's funny with all the doctrinal elements that the Brigham Young introduced in the church, I think almost all of them have been reversed. So theologically, Brigham Young was pretty much, according to the um, Hinkley, Gordon Hinckley School of Mormonism we have today, 
Brigham Young was wrong on almost every point, and we are now siding with Orson Pratt. As a matter of fact, the, the debate was taken up by Joseph F. Smith, um, in Mormon doctrine, which was written in the 1920s, and he sided with the no, no progression. Joseph Fielding Smith wrote his doctrines of salvation and that sort of stuff, and he said it. And then Bruce R. McConkie in his famous 1982 or 83 talk, the 14 deadly heresies said, no, seven? Oh, I'm doubling them because they're so awesome. <laughs> oh, yeah, you're right. The 14 fundamentals. The, the seven deadly heresies, that that not only not only did Bruce R. McConkie say there was no eternal progression, but this is you're 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 naughty if you even say it. But we were taught in church. I remember being taught about eternal progression. So eternal progression has been redefined as as having offspring for the rest of the eternity. That's true. I mean that that is part of it. But I was also taught that it meant you would continue to learn. I've told you that it still exists. The, this debate has not been completely settled, even though the theologians keep coming down and say, no, there's no such thing. Um, Brigham Young Because was, they don't want to say God is still learning. It's a problematic doctrine, and one that probably needs its own hour to discuss the nuances of the two, of the two doctrines. But, but, um, so we partially have it, that there's an indeterminate amount of time until you reach the status of exaltation. I don't think, and this goes to the whole planets. Mormons don't really believe that as soon as you die and you're pronounced um, a member of the highest order of the celestial kingdom, that you'll suddenly be given your own planet. Um, what they believe is that by and by, you'll achieve a status of exaltation, and then you will become a god. And Right, and you continue to learn for at least a, certain, a, at least a long time. Yeah. But if... It, but. You would think that God would still learn if he's still having children because he'd have to, like, learn who they are. Well, God's omniscient, right? He already knows. He knew before you were created. He knew that you would be here looking at me like that <laughs> before the foundation of the world. Okay. So he learned all things past, past present, and fu- present, and future. Apparently. And... And Heavenly then he Mother doesn't have was to learn off in the corner knitting or whatever she's doing. I don't know. All right. Well, that's heaven. Did we miss anything? Any 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 last minute thoughts from any of you guys? What that we we didn't cover? Come on up. I don't know who to contribute or who to attribute this idea to. I heard an idea. Um, it was a biologist or an evolutionist who said that human beings were not. Really, they would, human, human beings did not evolve to be happy. They evolved to reproduce. And when I heard that statement, I don't know if it was Richard Dawkins or E.O. Wilson or somebody, Carl Sagan, I forget who it was, but when I, I thought of the celestial kingdom, you're not going to be happy there, but you're going to reproduce. <laughs> and that pretty much summed up the way I think I felt growing up and hearing about it, just thinking, you know, it sounds like an utterly boring place. That I don't really want to be, but that's what I'm supposed to do because I've got to reproduce. I've got to have my spirit worlds and my spirit children and do all that stuff. So <laughs> that's the best way I could sum it up. Interesting. The last time I heard that phrase, some guy was buying me drinks at a bar. <laughs> what? <laughs> uh, it's fun. It's interesting. Yeah. Cause happiness, I think in the 19th century, mode of Mormonism, basically everything, didn't really figure into it. But, you know, they redefined it now instead of the plan of salvation. They call it the plan of happiness. 
Um, so, and if it doesn't sound like it'll be happy, then you just don't, you're, you're you don't have the right idea of yeah. happiness. All right. Well, um, that's, that's Mormon exaltation. So, um, as always, the discussion will continue at our website at mormonexpression.com. Thank you for your triumphant return, Zilpha. It's good to have you back. Thank you for inviting me. Um, you can, um, Find out about upcoming recordings here at the studio. You can leave comments. You can see what else is going on, on the website. And um, feel free to subscribe. Uh, we put up our little subscription uh, subscription to the podcast. costs $12 a year. $1 a month for all this joy. And Yeah. <laughs> There's a lot of joy in this room. All right. Well, thanks, everybody, for coming tonight. And uh, have a great evening. <laughs> <laughs>